0: Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 25 Tale. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for lost girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we are very excited to have back with us today, Sally. She was previous, previously a guest contributor on the Trick episode, and uh, she was very nice and, and decided to come back on. We did not scare her off, which was pleasing to hear. So thank you for joining us again, Sally. I'm so excited to be back. Thanks for having me. And I must say, extra props for Sally, because she's getting over bronchitis and she still showed up. So she's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's devotion. I know, right? Complete devotion. So this week we are talking about Hale, and for his drink special, I had a hard time coming up with something for him, but there is something called a Santiago cocktail, and it has powdered sugar, grenadine, lime, and then light rum. I don't know if it's anything Hale would drink. Hale's not a big drinker. I tried to find, I mean, we probably could have had some nice tea, and that would have been a nice beverage that Hale would have enjoyed, but... There you go. So Santiago cocktail for him, it is. And I'll put a a recipe for it in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 25. Hale, I think. You know, he hasn't really gotten a whole lot of screen time. He kind of had some limited storyline in season one, but he got more of a storyline in season two. And unfortunately, because Casey Collins was less available in season three, he wasn't as around as he had been previously in, in season three. But I think he's had kind of an interesting progression over the 3 years even though he hasn't gotten as much screen time as I would have liked cuz I like Casey Collins. But I thought we would maybe just start out by talking about what were like your first impressions of Hale when when we when he, we first came across him in season 1. Nice hat. <laughs> <laughs> he does enjoy a good chapeau, it is true.
1: <laughs> well, my first impression of Hale, especially in the first season, was snappy dresser, great abs when we got a glimpse of them, which wasn't too often. And I thought he was there just as the sidekick. We didn't get much backstory on him until season two, and he got some additional story arcs in season three. But very much for the first season, I thought he was just Dyson's buddy. They were cops together, and he was there to sort of be someone for a Dyson to talk to and bounce off his thoughts and uh i was surprised well not surprised but i was i was happy when he started to get you know more screen time in a different context than just being dyson's sounding board
2: i initially had an impression of him in the pilot where he's going up to dyson and or the first few episodes and he's talking about all the girls he's met and he's talking about doing a Je- the gemini girls and He's a cop, but I just thought, oh, this man's a player. You know, he just likes the ladies, likes having a good time, you know, doesn't mind using his siren skills to lure in the ladies. So I just thought he's a very smooth talker, could probably get under people's skin and interrogations that well. I think later in the series he mentions he's been a cop for 30 years, so that's Fae do. But yeah, he's a very smooth talker. As you said, snappy dresser. He's got... A very velvety voice and very velvety abs, very rock-hard abs. I, I, too, was really su- pleasantly surprised to know about his whole lineage when that came up and how that developed and how he really, I think, went into the cop business uh, just to do something, maybe to connect with humans more and to get away from the fae royalty that he was had grown up with.
0: I personally... I didn't really like Hale in season one, I have to say. I thought he was a little gross. He tended to say very sort of sexist things to Kenzie and Bo and and Dyson and and various things. So it took me a while before I really liked Hale. I think what finally made me sort of like warm to him was when he and Kenzie started to become buds.
3: Yeah, I agree. So I was watching uh, Arachnophobia, and it is one of those, you know, because they come across them and their little – the the shaman scam. And so then, of course, he and Kenzie sort of have the conversation about, uh, you know, cutting him in at 5%. And he's like, carry on, or whatever it is he says. And <laughs> I think that was one of the, the first moments where it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that. <laughs> that interaction.
1: I recall your guys' podcast from a couple weeks ago about Kenzie, where you mentioned that one of the roles that she's played on the show is to give the other characters a chance to shine. So this seems like a good example of that, how she helped you guys see Hale as a likable person.
0: I think another interaction between Kenzie and Hale that really helped me like Hale more or grow to like like Hale a little more is where they are both sort of relating to each other about being the sidekick. And Hale is sort of giving Kenzie a hard time about it. And she just kind of is like, whatever. I don't care what any of you think. Just bow. And that sort of interaction between the two of them. And then that bond that sort of formed between the two of them about being the sidekick again, I think really just helped me humanize Hale a little bit more. He became more than just like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go Mac on some ladies here. You know, it gave <laughs> him a little more depth than, than just
2: being a player. So the discussion of Hale and Kenzie where they're talking about sidekicks and Hale is kind of saying to Kenzie, oh, it's more than just what Bo thinks, and they're relating about being sidekicks. I mean, you kind of almost wonder if Hale has you know, not a little resentment but just feels a little left behind because Dyson's always the one you know, in front and you know, he's always kind of like the lead on the case, so uh, I think Hale and Kenzie relate on that point. They don't want to be forgotten even if Hale is a powerful Fae he doesn't want to be you know, just known as the ladies' man. He's got other things to offer. So I th- I always thought there was a bit of poignancy in that conversation between Hensi, Kale. God, I almost said Kale, Hensi. <laughs> That's <laughs> that, their shipper name. I know, between <laughs> Hale and Kenzie, that they just related a little bit there and go, you know what, we're still important, we still matter.
1: When we learn in the second season that Hale comes from a noble Fae family and that it seems that he deliberately gave up whatever advantages that his family connections could have paved the way for him deliberately to become a cop, something that his family didn't approve of. And that was really clear. And it seemed like he was choosing his own path. You know, I think about that because I got the same impression that you did, Annie, from that conversation, which was that Hale was maybe a little wistful about being a sidekick. But then as that context about his background um was revealed to us, I changed my mind about that a bit because I think he deliberately chose to assume the role that he did and to find his own way in the world without the advantage of his family connections. And so probably at any time he could have chosen to stop being a police officer and do something else that was expected of him and by his family, I should say. And um I think he didn't. So at least for the period of time that he was a cop, I feel like he was probably satisfied with that choice. And, you know, later we see he does throw his hat into the ring to become the next Ash after the first Ash is out of the picture. You know, so he, it seems like he did reach a point where he decided to change the way he'd been living his life. But, you know, I wonder if maybe after 30 years of, I don't know if he was partnered with Dyson for 30 years or not, but, you know, it did seem like he felt that it was time to make a change.
0: I'm glad you kind of brought up that aspect of Hale's storyline this because that's actually a kind of a common trope, this idea of like the 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 working the non idle rich or this idea that somebody who is wealthy chooses to sort of not just allow that to let them sort of check out of being an active person in the world and they, they have like a more regular job. And it's usually a storyline that we see particularly with, with white characters. So I was really sort of interested that that was a storyline that they gave to a character who's a person of color. So I kind of liked that aspect a lot of Sarah's storyline. And I really liked the storyline in season two relating to his family, but as in regards to what Annie was saying about his relationship with Dyson and being a sidekick, I kind of got the same sense that you did Sally that he was actually okay with it. He, he it seemed to me he was just sort of accepting this idea that, you know, this is kind of his his role in this in this arena, and that's okay with him at least for right now. But we do see later, like you mentioned in season three, that he steps up and takes some more. I think he did actually position. sort of
3: give Kenzie a pep talk about being the sidekick, and he says something about again part of the sort of sexist talk where he says something about. Uh, you know, it's not so bad being with Dyson and, you know, Dyson being a ladies' man. And so he says makes some reference to, to getting the extra ladies is basically what he's
2: getting at. But I I like the fact that because he chose to become a cop and stay, and kind of not go the route that his family went, that I don't know if Hale would realize it, but we see as in the development of the series, particularly in season two, when his friendship really develops with Kenzie, that I think it was him being away from his family, who we find out later is so anti-human that it really gave him empathy for humans. And just the whole B story with Kenzie and, and Hale in um 208, Death Didn't Become Him, where they're dealing with the Glaive's daughter, and they have to deal, you know, Hale has to track down Kenzie, and, you know, the famous abs are revealed, and... There's a really sweet moment between them at the end of the episode after the whole mess is cleaned up. And Kenzie says, well, thank you, Hale, for not selling me. And he says, silence, human. (laughs) And she smacks him, and he's like, oh, ow, and he, you know, just smiles, you know, Casey Collins has such a beautiful smile, he smiles that big grin at her, and, you know, you just see the beginnings, you know, that's where the kale shippers come in, that it's a really genuine friendship, and it could turn into something more, um, and certainly is hinted at at the end of season three. But I think that's what Hale, being a cop, gave him that maybe he wasn't expecting after he met Bo and met Kenzie in particular, was this real empathy for humans to the point where he asked Kenzie for a huge favor when he goes back and meets his family to go, can you pose as my girlfriend, particularly my human girlfriend, uh just to rile his family up, in a sense. I'm trying to think. I feel like
0: even in the first season before we had kind of the emergence of more idealistic Hale in Season 2, who sort of is envisioning a less divided world between humans and Fae. I don't remember if if Hale was ever particularly down on humans in
2: Season 1. Does anybody remember? No, not particularly.
0: In
1: doing a little research before this podcast, I did read the page on Hale on the Lost Girl wiki. And, you know, you can't believe everything that you read on the internet, but The Lost Girl wiki seems to indicate that Hale always thought that humans and Fae should live more equally and that he didn't believe that humans were inferior uh, to the Fae. And I, you know, I didn't um, go and rewatch any of the season one episodes recently, but I also don't remember him having any particular anti-human bias. You jogged my memory, Stephanie, when you talked about um, whatever the... uh, storyline is about, you know, the working rich that, um, you thought was unusual since Hale was a person of color. And usually that storyline is played out with people who are white in TV or whatever. Something else, Hale's a siren, which in mythology, sirens are usually women. And, you know, it's interesting that he's a male and, um, you know, has a power that is traditionally attributed To women, And that's another example, I think, of how this show turns things around and turns them on their heads. And something else that the Lost Girl wiki informed me of, the name, his sister Val, uh, her power is to steal people's voices. And we saw her do that to Kenzie. The, The page says that his father has the same power, that his father and his sister are Pombero, which maybe I missed this when I was watching the show. I'm not sure if it was ever explicitly said, or if it was said, it was probably just said once and I missed it. But Pombero are the natural enemy of the siren, because they can steal, you know, a siren's voice, which is their power. And I thought that was interesting, because it is also postulated on the wiki, and perhaps also mentioned in the show that Hale's mom is a siren too. So the fact that Hale's mother married her natural enemy and vice versa, you know, I thought that was a something interesting as well. I'm not sure if it's exactly turning anything on its head, but you know, these two people who married and had children in their fay and they've probably been alive for a long time, natural enemies, but they overcame whatever their differences are. And then their kids also have opposite abilities. So we see, you know, I think, um, between Hale and Val sibling rivalry, but also, you know, a sibling bond. And I thought that was interesting. Do you guys remember anything during those episodes in season, is it two? It is two, when Val makes most of her appearances, or all of them, that talks about her power and then Hale's
2: parents. Well, I remember the uh, Pombero being mentioned by Hale's father. It's episode 217, The Girl Who fade With Fire, th- where uh, that's whole Hale's whole backstory comes in with the family. But I think at one point, when it might have been in that scene where Hale's having tea with Kenzie and uh Val and the uh, his dad that at one point uh Hale's dad might have mentioned how you know the mother is absent but she was more sympathetic to humans correct me if i'm wrong on that and um i do think that's interesting how Hale and Val have opposing powers but maybe it is because Hale's mother married the father that might have somehow passed down to Hale that trait of you know, wanting opposites to attract and him wanting to have humans and Fae exist on more equal terms. It is actually that that scene where they the discussion is about
3: uh, Hale being sympathetic to humans. And I forget if Hale says it or if his dad says it, but something about I think Hale says says it something about being like his mother that way. And then that's what leads the dad to say, Oh, believe me, I... I, you don't have to tell me that. Uh, my only son being a siren, so that's the—that's how the scene plays out. Was that they were referring to the sympathy to humans, which then led to the reveal that the mother was also a siren.
0: Yeah, there's a, a lot of interesting dynamics around gender in regards to Hale. Like Sally mentioned, he's a he's a siren who are traditionally female, and we see in that interaction with his father, his father kind of throw that in his face that he was a disappointment somehow to his father because he was a male siren. Though I will say, I don't remember them saying that Hale's father was a, a- Pumbera. Yeah, they
3: didn't, they didn't say that, but based on the Fae mythology that we've been told, it seems to indicate that children will take on the, you know, whatever Fae species or type or whatever, that the other, or that the parent has. So they take one of the parents, so.
0: They did say that about Val, so I think maybe the wiki is making that assumption based on the, what we've, what we've learned about Fae mythology. Right. But I hadn't really thought about that, that idea that they would be natural enemies of each other, but, but that is, that is interesting.
1: Well, I think the author of the Lost Girl wiki is actually Lauren Lewis, and so she's doing a little bit of extrapolation about Fae genetics uh, in that arena.
2: Really? God. i didn't
3: know that i gotta go read that whole thing now you really
0: sold that sally i was like really Oh, uh, wait.
2: and then annie's like how do i get JK. in touch with her <laughs> suddenly i just perk up um i gotta get on that wiki i do get on the wiki it's great for fan fiction research
0: yes we should stop and say thank you to the writers of the lost girl wiki because it's it's actually a really good resource so thank, thank you. you oh yeah
2: uh, the w- the one thing about Hale's powers is that I kind of regret not seeing in later seasons is that we don't see him using it as much on screen. I think Hale has the most awesome powers of all of
0: the Fae, who are main characters, personally. I think they are awesome. And I'm really bummed we didn't see them at all in season I don't think three. we did, yeah. Mm-mm. And I like how they have, how the show has sort of extended his siren abilities. It's not just, you know, singing sweetly and and luring people and things
2: like that, but that it's it, it can be an offensive power as well. And that you
3: can apparently cauterize wounds
2: with it. it which Exactly. Which apparently was Lauren's idea to go, wait, can you cauterize the wound? He goes, I'm not mm-hmm. sure and then he does. So the you know, the fact that you
1: brought up that Hale we see his power mostly um talked about in the context of luring women, um, and we don't see him using it or even thinking to use it as an offensive power. That's something I was thinking about because his storyline in season three becomes very much about power and the use of power and how as a political leader, you can exercise power ethically or unethically. And we see him, you know, learning about diplomacy and learning about boundaries and you know being pushed to enforce them by trick who's his mentor but what i don't think that we see and i don't think it's implied that any of this is happening off screen is that he's using his siren abilities to persuade anyone else to do um what he wants them to do so we see him negotiating with the ambassador we see him arguing with the morrigan and you know fey law states that you're not supposed to use your fey powers on other fey i guess without consent but someone who uh, doesn't have a strong sense of ethics probably would not be so constrained by that guideline. And I think Hale is trying to go at all natural, Having that power of persuasion at your, literally like on the tip of your tongue and then choosing not to exercise it is pretty significant.
2: I don't know if I had necessarily ever thought of it that way. That's an interesting point. But what I want to know in season three is how Hale made this transition from, you know, being part of the gang. And then suddenly it's right in that first episode in season three, when you see Kenzie coming through, you know, the door of the doll, and she's in the cellar or wherever. And she goes, come on, you're the Ash now. And it's a very telling camera angle when it reveals the person turns around and it's Hale. And he goes, yeah, of course, little mama, or something like like that. And to me, it was a surprise to go, oh, wow, it's Hale. And what was the transition between Season 2 and Season 3 that made Hale say, I'll take up this position? Was it because there was no one else and Lachlan had been killed and they'd just gotten over this huge battle with the Garuda? You know, what made him want to step in as a temporary Ash? Was it sort of voted or almost forced upon him by the Light Elders? Because it was my impression in Season 3, it wasn't something that he really wanted at first. And... You know, he had to learn how to deal with all the politics, and he's got this, you know, thing, a million things to do on his to-do list, and he's got to deal with the ambassador. But then again, he is coming, you know, I don't know if if it was his necessarily his idea uh, to partner up Dyson and Tamsin. So we see him frustrated with the role in Season 3 a bit, and, you know, trying to deal with all the politics, and trying to bridge the gap between light and dark. But then he's off screen for a while due to Casey Collins's other um, commitments, and then when he comes back later in the scene, when he or later in the series when he comes back after being gone for a few episodes, and he has that scene with Lauren, that very telling scene where he says he denies her permission to go off and to do her own research, and Lauren says it's true what they say about power—you know, it reveals a person's true nature. So, I to me it was kind of a shock to see. Hale do this transition off screen from kind of wrangling the duties of the Ash to all of a sudden really assuming that power and becoming, as Kenzie would term it, an ash hole. Coming back and doing and having that scene with Lauren, to me it was um, a bit of a shocker. So, uh, and then at the end of the season when it transitions again and he just seems to willingly give up the powers of the Ash. So that whole uh, journey through season three, a lot of which I think took place off screen. I wonder what, how Hale's thought process unfolded or how his decisions unfolded in being the ash. I would, you know, I would have loved to have known more about, because I think there was a lot going off on off screen that we didn't necessarily see.
0: I'm actually most interested in the his transition from the end of season two to the beginning of season three, because we saw at the beginning of season two, where there was that, that opening for the ash and Bo and Kenzie went to Hale and asked him to help in this scheme, he was very adamant about the fact that, you know, if he wanted to get into a politics a while ago, it would have been easier for him, it would have made his family happy, but it wasn't something he was interested in. And while he did have some other encounters with maybe some higher up Faye throughout the second season, it's not like he had, to me, I don't think, it doesn't seem like he had a huge progression in season two from... Here I am over here. I don't want to get invo- involved in in sort of this fay nonsense. To okay, I'm willing to do it. So I am really curious. What was that push that got him to agree to at least be interim Ash?
3: I kind of wonder if it has to do with the end of season two. Just the the whole you know starting in the girl who fade with fire, where there's the the big party and nobody will believe them that the Garuda is coming, and so. There's sort of a a lack of leadership in that situation, or or not the leadership that they need, if that makes sense. So I'm wondering how much that has affected the change
2: in attitude. You see Hale in that scene um, near the end of The Girl Who Fade With Fire. when I believe it's Hale when he says, you know, you all sit in your posh houses, but you don't realize something is coming. So he he takes on a, a role to be the leader in that scene even if he doesn't want it necessarily because he's been with Bo, he's been with Kenzie, you know, he's been fighting and he's seen this whole imminent threat coming and he's out in the world and he's not just hiding in his, you know, posh house, as he says, you know, when it comes to that, he will warn them because he's had that exposure.
1: I think that there was definitely a power void, but really more like a leadership void after Lachlan, was killed and everyone, they were unsuccessful in getting all the Fae to unite against the Garuda. So I think that was part of that. I think Hale must have seen it, but I think that he was also encouraged or pushed by others, probably Trick and, you know, maybe other people. But I think Trick definitely had a hand in convincing him to be the acting Ash. And I think at the beginning of season three, when we see Hale, there's definitely a change in him that I saw. And I really, as the whole season went on, I got a strong sense. He was very much kind of like a John F. Kennedy character because he came into the office of the Ash. He was a young person. He seemed to have a lot of energy for reforms. Um, I think he wanted to, you know, make things better or more equal for humans. Who interacted with Faye, and we also see that he probably um, was one of the key forces pushing for uh, an alliance between the light and the dark to try to take away some of the um, the nastiness that would go on between them. And you know, I don't think that it was all totally him, but I think that I sensed a lot of idealism and energy for reform in him. And the first natural comparison that came to my mind—it was very strong throughout the season—was JFK. And to that it was to the point that I was worried toward the end of season three <clears throat> that we were going to see Hale get assassinated. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But I, when I was, um, you know, thinking about that comparison, I found a quote from JFK that I thought seemed a little bit on target, which was. Mothers all want their sons to grow up to be president, but they don't want them to become politicians in the process. And, you know, there's a, there's a distinction between what I would call policy and politics. You know, policy is making laws and government and enacting policies that are supposed to benefit society and benefit the citizens of a civil society. And politics or political science is much more about the art of getting elected and sort of bending the people to your will, either through leadership at its best or manipulation at its worst. And, you know, I think that leaders have to make hard choices, and we get to see some of that during Hale's storyline during season three. I think it's something that's common, at least in, U.S. politics and probably all around the world is that citizens kind of armchair quarterback, whoever is the leader, whoever's in power at the time. And, you know, it's easy to say things like, if I were the president, then, you know, I would do this and I wouldn't put up with any of this nonsense. And then when you're, um, when you're actually in the role and you have the responsibility and a full awareness of all the competing priorities, some of those decisions don't seem so cut and dried anymore. And I think we see Hale struggle with learning this in season three. I'm interested actually in what you guys think about that part of his story arc.
2: Well, again, we get to see him deal with the frustrations at first of being Ash. And as you said, the politics versus the policy and, you know, that scene with, you know, older woman and he's trying to do that whole ceremony and Kenzie bursts in saying, Oh, sail on wool. And, that's really the transition where he has to learn. It's what every politician or every person in power has to learn of the compromises you have to make maybe personally to enforce the policy or to enforce the laws. And we see this whole shift in Hale where he has to um, push away his friends at times and particularly his human friends to be able to make peace between you know, the dark and the light fay, or you know, is it pressure from both sides, and you see the fracturing of Hale and Kenzie's relationship, which was you know, really sad at times, but it seemed like it was um, almost a necessary evil, because Hale at the same time is trying to bridge the gap between the light and the dark, it is to try and change what has been, you know, at least a millennia old system, to, you know, get rid of this war between the light and the dark, to try and Bring the two sides together because it seems like the Fae, it, as we see, you know, even from season two and three, and you know, going into season four on, there's so many outside forces that are trying to destroy the Fae themselves. They don't, they don't need infighting. You know, that's the last thing they want. And Hale, I think, starts to realize that. But at the same time, he's really uh, regretful. You know, we see in Hale uh, Hale that. He still has to, you know, when Morgan declares the war against humans and she forces Hale to read off what's on the, um, you know, what's on the uh, test tube. And he says, it's Dr. Lauren Lewis. And then he has to go and arrest Kenzie, but at the same time ends up saving her. Um, But that's all just a mix inside of him of trying to balance the politics versus his personal feelings. And that's where I really love the end of season three. We see more of his... We see hints of more of what would have just must have been a real internal struggle with Hale, of trying to balance those two sides. So I really want to see where it goes in season four. But and again, at the same and what made him give up the power of the ash at the end, which to me was kind of a sudden turn. So it makes me wonder what's going to happen with the position of the ash in season four. How what will go on with that? And really, even
3: though we know that. Hale's absence during the third season, the, the pretty much the entire middle segment of the third season. We know it was because Casey Collins was busy on another TV show, but I think it actually kind of worked out in a way in, in favor of his storyline because it, it sort of is representative of the fact that Hale has had to pull away from personal interactions. You know, we don't see him interacting with, with the gang so much anymore because he can't because he's busy with you know, political maneuvering and whatever, uh, theoretically.
0: I understand why the writers needed to create a very dramatic moment at the end of Fades of Black where Hale has a guard shut the door in Kinsey's face because, like Chris Chris mentioned, Casey Collins was unavailable. He really isn't in a good chunk of the middle of season three. And so they really needed that moment to be very powerful so that when we see him again later on, we could buy... This sort of change in Hale. However, if I think about it logically, it doesn't really gel with me in regards to Hale's personality. Like, why wasn't he just willing to set clearer boundaries with Kenzie? Just be like, Kenzie, you're my friend, you're my buddy, I want to hang out with you, but from the hours to this and this, I need to do my ash thing. You know, why, you know, why didn't he take sort of a softer, more Hale like approach to things? And I think a lot of that maybe we could chalk up to Trick. But at the same time, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like there might have been some other stuff going on for Hale in regards to why he took such a sharp turn in, in regards to the middle of the season. But maybe it, maybe it was just a, a, a matter of writing and needing to make the story work in some, in some way for, for the long-term story arc.
1: Well, something that definitely seems true on TV shows is that characters have major problems just communicating with each other. Absolutely. It's just, if you're on TV, you can't talk to someone. I don't know why.
2: (laughs) It's a very good point. Drama, drama, drama. But I, you know, it's funny, Stephanie, because when you said, well, why didn't Hale just take a more direct approach and tell Kenzie that? And my initial thought was... It's kind of hard to tell Kenzie anything that she'll listen to unless (laughs) who says she's going to listen to you unless you did take that really drastic approach. I mean, although that was done for dramatic effect so that we see the whole episode Kenzie being rejected. But I guess just thinking back to Kenzie and Hale's
0: relationship in the first season, I feel like they did have some fairly good communication between the two of Mm -hmm. them where Hale really laid it out for her. So to see that progression where he couldn't just do that was very... Not shocking, but, you know, it was it was a very clear
2: change in Hale.
0: I agree with that. I mean, the thing that I think was different
1: about Hale having the door slammed in Kenzie's face versus, you know, the talks they had had in previous episodes, you know, in the earlier ones when they were talking about being sidekicks or whatever it was, I think Kenzie kind of was um, stating something about how she felt, but didn't necessarily have something that she wanted. She wasn't um, single-mindedly focused on anything. And I think that what we were shown in season three is that she was not only um, ignoring whatever boundaries Hale tried to set in a more gentle way, but she also was pushing hard for his attention. I think because Bo's attention as a best friend was taken up so much with being with Lauren So I think she was um, putting more of her eggs into the hail basket. And, you know, she really wanted someone to pay attention to her and to listen to her. And I think that made her less likely to respond to, you know, the hints that he tried to drop. She just wanted to do kind of what she wanted to do. I do think
3: uh, a major theme of the third season is everybody sort of becoming very preoccupied with their own problems or issues or whatever. I mean, we see that from, I think, pretty much every character at some point throughout the third season, which is why everybody gets so torn apart at the end.
0: I also am curious to see how his leadership role evolves in season four, because like Annie mentioned, him just sort of giving up the Ash ship position, you know, being the Ash at the end of season four like, it, it did seem abrupt, but at the same time, it didn't really seem to be all the way true. He seemed to at least still have some fires in the iron in regards to some leadership stuff that was going on. So I'm kind of curious if he really has abandoned his position as the Ash or if it's a greater a part of maybe a greater scheme to maybe reform the way that government looks in regards to the Light Fae. Maybe I'm just, you know speculating
3: and being hopeful no i'm i'm with you because there is a lot of stuff loose ends essentially there are a lot of loose ends at the end of season three and you're right there there seems to be more to whatever Hale is doing i don't know what it is obviously but i'm I'm curious to see
0: because he seemed to have beyond sort of rescuing trick he seemed to have a plan in place like he had already set up this thing with vex and you know, there seemed to be more going on in the background that we were unaware of. And I know there was some fan speculation in regards to maybe something more going on with with Lauren and maybe Lauren and Hale may- having some sneaky plans about in regards to Taft. I don't know if that'll come to fruition. Again, it was just sort of some fan speculation. But I had thought that towards the end of season three, but by the actual
3: end of season three, I... I was pretty sure I was wrong. Yeah, but me too. We'll see.
0: Me too. But you never know. Again, I feel like there was stuff going on for Hale that we we just weren't privy to as the audience.
2: I really want to see, you know, they just dropped such a huge, uh, a bit of a bombshell when Hale explicitly stated his feelings for Kenzie that you have never been just a friend. So it implies it goes back all the way to season one, potentially. So besides just, you know, fulfilling a shipper fantasy, it is pretty much a bold statement when a show explicitly says this character wants to be with this character. Okay. How do you write yourself into that potentially out of that? How do you develop that? Particularly when it's dropped at the end of a season, Kenzie wants something very different than what Hale could potentially want with whatever plans he may be making with trick or whatnot.
1: No, I agree. And I mean, I think that we've seen from the webisodes that uh, have aired so far that Kenzie is off on a field trip with Bruce, who also let it slip in the last episode of season three that he loves Kenzie. And I have to say, I was glad when Hale gave Kenzie, what is it called again? The Twig twig. of Zamora. The twig of Zamara, because I think she's needed that for a long time to protect herself from those shoes she
2: wears. So that was a good <laughs> but she still trips in the shoes in the web so obviously it's not working yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know,
1: Annie, actually, something that you mentioned before that I thought it would be interesting to return to is the scene where Lauren asks Hale for some time to pursue her own research and a sabbatical, I think she called it, right? And he denies the request, and she's mad, and she says, it's true what they say, power doesn't corrupt people, it reveals them. So I didn't know who said that quote, so I did a little Googling, and I trust everything I read on the Internet, so it seems (laughs) that this quote came from the biographer of Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was the president that succeeded John F. Kennedy after his assassination. And so the biographer, um, his name is Robert Caro. And I think Johnson, you know, he was a U.S. president. This is a Canadian show. I'm not sure if the writers of this show, you know, intended to insert that quote and have fans track it literally back to the biographer of this president. But even if they didn't, I was thinking about Hale and his... Ashhood, his ash holiness, um, <laughs> as compared to LBJ's presidency. And, you know, LBJ, his legacy really was that, um, he got a lot done on the domestic front. He also escalated American involvement in the Vietnam war. And, um, what he seems to have been best known for is his ability to convince other politicians to support the legislation he wanted them to support by hook or by crook. And, you know, it even got a name, which was the Johnson treatment. And I think that what I saw kind of thinking of Hale as a JFK character and not an LBJ character was that Hale was more trying to sell his vision to the light Fay, the vision of a world where there didn't have to be a war between the light and the dark and a vision where humans could participate more equally in society. And I think that's what JFK was known for was, you know, his speeches and his charisma that really attracted people to, you know, this really attractive picture that he painted of what society and what life could be like. And he gave people in the U S anyway, a lot of hope. But then I think the contrast between him and Johnson in terms of style, I mean, obviously Lauren, said it intending to hurt or insult Hale. I'm not sure if it was a parallel that was drawn deliberately, you know, for these two U S presidents, probably not. It's maybe it's just something that, that I'm seeing, but you know, I thought it was a, a nice bookend to, to kind of smack Hale in the face and say, look what you've become. Um, if anyone from Canada is listening to the podcast and, you know, didn't follow or didn't care about the JFK versus LBJ discussion, I'm sure Stephanie will invite you to uh, post comments on the show notes. And so I invite you to talk about the differences between Brian Mulroney and Stephen Harper.
0: I know who Stephen Harper is, but I've not heard of Brian Mulroney. So school me Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) So it is interesting to think that because we see that Hale and Vex have colluded at the end of season three. It is interesting to think that he might have enabled Vex to become the new leader of the dark because we saw indications at least at the beginning of season 3 and previously that Hale really doesn't particularly care for the divide so much so do we think that this was intentional that he that Hale maybe has a reason for wanting Bex to become leader of the dark do you think there's a larger plan re- in regards to this or do you think maybe it might just be a an unintention unintended outcome of whatever deal he,
2: uh, Hale made with Bex I think it is intentional in some ways because, as we see, Hale picks up his phone and he says to Trick in the finale, he says, don't worry, I've got someone on the inside. And then it cuts to that scene with Vex having the Morgan tied up and playing around with her. And he says, I believe he says to Hale, you owe me or some kind of payment. I thought about the Morgan, it seemed, was not willing to work
1: with Hale. And, you know, he made overtures to her, invited her to you know, the party at the doll for his inauguration. And, you know, she responded by kidnapping Dyson and, you know, setting off several nefarious plots. um, She did
0: kidnap Dyson. That was Taff. Right,
1: Taff. I was going to say,
2: wait a minute, yeah. (laughs) She also seemed, I actually thought, I thought she knew about it, though. She did try to kill Hale, which to me wasn't really clear because he already had the twig on him and then she dropped that fly or whatever in his hors d'oeuvre, and it was kind of strange, and then it kind of flicked off him, and it wasn't really clear what that was until, because it hadn't really been revealed what the what the twig of Zamora did. Um, so until later, when you put it all together.
1: I did get the impression during that, even though it was Taft, who arranged for Dyson to be kidnapped, I thought the Morgan was in on it, because there was a scene where, You know, somebody said, you know, Dyson's been kidnapped and the Morgan is smirking. So I thought that she was somehow, you know, helping to make it happen.
3: And she did take advantage of the situation to declare the war on humans. So it is possible, I suppose, that she had enabled Taft's plan. I don't know that
2: there are loose ends, as I said. Taft seems to be working on his own. So and so against both the dark and the light that I don't. I don't know. I, know,
1: I think it's unclear. Lost Girl writers, since I'm sure you're listening to this, you know, please go comment in the show notes and clear up just who knew what and who was in on it. But I think the reason that Hale probably did strike a specific deal with Vex is that he tried to work with the Morrigan, and she showed that she could not be trusted um, again and again. And Vex, we're told at least in the first season and second, that he's probably the second most powerful dark fae and we see that when he loses his his power then he's you know thrown out of the dark fae society but when he is on he is a really powerful guy and if there is some sort of competition or succession if Ebony is out of the picture then he's probably the next most powerful dark fae who would assume the office and i mean hale had worked with vex before when Vex joined up to help defeat the Garuda, so maybe it was just a matter of choosing, I don't know, the devil you know.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. It's like, you know, the best of a bad decision, or the lesser of two evils, when it comes to who Hale can choose to trust when he's trying to bridge this uh, gap between the light and the dark at the end of Season 3, because Ebony is just so against the humans and with the dark, and she's got her... She's very firm in her ideals, it seems, you know, when Hale is trying to convince her, and she just won't take Hale up on his offer, so he has to make alternative plans, and he's like, well, who's left? Okay, Vex isn't my ideal choice, he still can't fully be trusted, but I know a way to manipulate him to get him to still work for the Dark, since he's got something against the Morgan. And Vex has
3: cohabitated with Kenzie without, you know, killing her, so...
0: I was going to say he does have a soft spot for Kenzie, so maybe that gave him points with Hale as well.
1: Speaking of contrast, too, and and Hale, you know, I think that he was not as likable by a long shot when he was the Ash. But then in the last episode, when he decided to give up the office or whatever, you know, plan he's up to, um, or at least to give the appearance of abdicating the office of the Ash, he instantly became likable again and he became resourceful and he saved Kenzie by slipping her the twig of Zamora and confessed his love for her. And, you know, it kind of made me think and wonder, maybe some people just aren't meant to be leaders and that's not the natural role that they play to be in charge of, of something. And, uh, you've got to have all kinds of different people to make a society work and to make a government work. And, you know, I think that everyone in their life, you know, can be a leader in some arena and everyone's the leader of their own life, I guess. Not to get too deep, you guys, but, you know, (laughs) sorry, it happened. But, you know, maybe some people just aren't well suited for political leadership. And, you know, I think Hale sort of hints at that when, you know, he said, you know, like, can't remember the exact quote. One of you guys is going to have to correct me, but you know, the office of the ash didn't fit so well.
2: Well, yeah, I mean it's him being thrust into the office of the ash at the beginning of season three. Whether it's a void that has to be filled, the Light Fey elders might have voted or said we need to get someone in there quickly. Oh, your clan Zamora, your royalty, we'll, vo- we'll put we'll put you in there, and he has to try and figure out the role. And maybe it's it's what his family always wanted. And we see in that scene between Dyson and Hale when he's about to be inaugurated. And we see that his father has given him the clan of Zamora Twig. At the same time, Hale seems a little bitter because he says, well, my father's not here or something for some reason.
0: By the way, that's code for we could not find that actor. Exactly. He was not available
2: or we could not afford him. <laughs> I know, I know. Which cracks <laughs> me up. You know, so it's Hale fitting into this role of the ash learning how to deal with it and then maybe getting to a point where he has to compromise again compromise his friendship for his you know friends and maybe his human friends and and then realizing that power doesn't suit him or for whatever reasons that i could be more useful in this other way and find a way to still make a deal with vex to you know temporarily disarm the morgan so that she's not in a position of power you know find a way to really follow what he wants to do to follow his heart because he wants to save his friends not just play the political role anymore
0: well i think we've seen several times throughout the seasons that hale is very good in sort of crisis situations most of the time i feel like he figures out he, he you know he's a good helper in those situations and i think he likes doing that so yeah i think i think sally landed on a good point that even though Hale's a good person, he's maybe not necessarily all that comfortable being a leader. And it's not that he's not doesn't have a strong personality or that he can't take the lead at times, but that's not really the role he wants to to have, to be like in the spotlight all the time and in charge of everything. I don't think that really suits him all that well. There does
3: seem to be a theme in Lost Girl of like those in leadership having to you know, have it. There's extreme personal sacrifice to those in leadership. Is what
0: I'm trying to say. Absolutely, and that's something that maybe Hale isn't interested in doing at this point. And who could
1: blame him? And in thinking about Hale, especially as you know, in his role as Ash, there was something over the last week that kept bugging me um, in the back of my mind. And I know it was a quote that I read, and I'm sure that it was from some famous politician or some political scientist political science theorist and so i spent a little time trying to remember and then googling the quote and it turns out that it's actually from the author of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy douglas adams so this is the thing that kept nagging at me when i was thinking about hail and power and his storyline it is a well-known fact that those people who must want to rule people are ipso facto those least suited to do it Anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. And I think another, some comedian in the U.S. had a, a similar quote, that, which was, you know, I wouldn't want to be a, me- a member of any club that would allow me in as a member. And people who have political ambitions often have them for the wrong reasons. I think that we need more people who want to get into government and ruling, who want to help people, and as we saw, at least with Hale's first ride on that merry-go-round, uh, it didn't work out so well. But as perhaps his storyline as Ash is not finished, and being a little older and wiser and having learned some lessons, you know, he might come back to being a political reformer with a little more experience under his belt and a little more know-how about how to get things done. I mean, removing Ebony as the Morrigan was huge. That's something that if you are you know, the leader of a country or a group of people, that's usually accepted as a no-no. You don't take out leaders of the opposition just because you don't like them. But we we see it in real life, and we've seen it on Lost Girl.
2: Well, I wonder what repercussions there will be for Hale, because uh, we've heard that the Morgan is going to be in Season 4 quite a bit, and she's not going to be happy with him, I'll bet. So, and we hear there's more of a role for Hale in Season 4, so... Lots of stuff to be revealed. But I just wanted to take up that point that you had, Stephanie, about, uh, you know, other characters in Lost Girl, or that was you, Chris, who said other characters in Lost Girl who, you know, have the issue of leadership and are kind of forced into that, and we see that with Bo at the end of Season 2 in particular, her struggling with the leadership to bring the gang together to fight the greater evil, and how, you know, that will probably continue... You know, all the characters in a bit in season four, since again they have this greater force, the Una Mens threatening the Fae. I think all the characters will have to step up in their own ways to, again, fight off this force that's threatening all the Fae, not just the dark versus the light. Did you have any
0: other major points you wanted to make, Sally? Any other quotes? Well, I'm wondering if we're going to hear
1: a quote from Annie about Docubus Forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was trying to keep
1: it to a minimum. <laughs>
0: Actually, you have not talked about Docubus at all. You mentioned
2: Lauren, but you did not talk well, about Lauren slash Docubus. You know, almost the same thing. All
0: right, here's another
1: quote: "Nearly oh all men." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did ask for it, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> like you literally yeah. asked
0: for it. <laughs> I just, I just like that she
1: actually had one. I have several, but I'm not going to read them all. <laughs> Nearly all men can stand adversity, said Abraham Lincoln. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And I think if you, if you take that concept midway through the third season, then you'll think, well, you know, that must mean that Hale's character is not very good. But if you watch all the way through to the last episode, where I think he redeems himself with the appearance of giving up power, I think that the ultimate sort of end, at least for that season, for Hale's character, is that he does end up being a good guy. Even if the lesson that he's learned is that maybe he's not suited to have either such power or such responsibility in a role uh, like being the leader of of the Light Fay. so so there's that.
0: I think a lot of us are looking forward to seeing what happens to Hale in season four. I know that I am. I want to see how his character changes in regards to having had this experience as being a leader in season three and and what comes out of that. And I just am happy to see Casey Collins more because I think he's adorable. And I thought he was such a sweet guy when we got to uh, talk with him a little bit at DragonCon. Didn't you think, Chris? I thought he was just like the sweetest.
3: Oh, yeah. He was so, so nice. And he sort of, you know, he, he stood there and talked to us for a couple minutes, I think. And Sort of put his hand on each
2: of our shoulders as we were talking to him and was, yeah, he's a sweet guy. He's, he's got that smooth, velvety voice and off camera, you know, because I, I remember I asked him at Fan Expo, so what's going on with Hale being the Ash in season four? He goes, well, you know, I don't know, you're going to have to watch. And he just had that charm in real life and and it was It was quite amusing to see, but yeah, he's a beautiful man. And I I find it very
0: endearing how easily he blushes, because it seems like at almost every panel we've seen him on, his other actors on the show are trying to make him blush, like giving him a hard time and trying to make him blush. And I find that very endearing.
3: I also found it endearing that he apologized for them behaving (laughs) that way. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes at dragon Con, he apologized for paul amos's and chris hilton reed's behavior which was pretty funny
3: <laughs> they were pretty uh pretty rowdy that yeah. that day
0: and I will say, because I know that there's probably a big league of people who are saying, you know, "Hail, hey, take off your shirt, because he's only done it the once on the show. But he does genu- genuinely seem to be a little embarrassed about it. So I personally want to say to Casey Collins, I support your decision to not take off your shirt if you don't want to take off your shirt.
2: I don't know. Some might disagree with you on that. And, uh, heck, I I do too. You know, I mean, disagree with you on that because, wow, I just, I, you don't know how many times I've looked at that still of, you know, Hale with his shirt off going, how does a human being get molded like that? It's amazing. It's quite amazing. He, I mean, props to you, Casey, for such an amazing specimen, you know, just, yeah, (laughs) you're- specimen of a body. Yes, no, I'm not being shallow. No, but okay, maybe I am a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, if he wants to keep it on. That's his right.
1: Well, it is great motivation for, you know, those of us who would aspire to have abs like his. <laughs> yeah
3: it's not that i don't like looking at it but yeah i support you casey collins if you don't want to take your shirt off you shouldn't have to take your shirt off that's
1: all i'm saying (laughs) well here's another quote you don't we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time
2: (laughs) (laughs) but it helps it helps (laughs) but until then
0: we've got our imaginations Well, thank you so much, Sally, for being our guest again today. We really appreciate it. and We always enjoy having you on. Well, thank you. I always enjoy it, too. Thank you again to Sally for being our guest. You can follow Sally on Twitter at sHeaven. We would love to get your thoughts about Hale. You can leave us feedback about the content of this episode in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the show notes over at drinksatthedoll.com. This is episode 25. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can call and leave a voicemail on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can also follow us on Twitter at drinksatthedoll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week. Cheers.